we're so used to seeing things that, in my opinion, aren't quite right in our treatment of animals. Yeah, the less we eat, the less violence is being done, and the less destruction to the environment. Everyone eats, and everyone has to make a moral decision every time that we sit down to the table. Welcome to Animal Voices, Western Canada's only radio program dedicated to compassionate living and animal advocacy. This is 100.5 FM CFRO Vancouver Co-op Radio in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. We're on unceded and traditional Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh territories. Today is Friday, August 28th, 2020, and I will be your host today. My name is Grace. I will also be joined by Allison. She has an interview with Peter Fricker from the Vancouver Humane Society regarding their campaign to ban the horse-drawn trolleys in Stanley Park for once and for all. These trolleys exploit horses for human entertainment. It's time that we move past that. We also have an interview with the owner of Pulse Kitchen, an artisan vegan cheese company that has some amazing high-quality vegan cheeses. So stay tuned for that and learn a little bit about why vegan cheese is still cheese. Thanks for stopping by and I hope you will learn a little bit today and have a fun time hanging out with me. The Canadian Independent Venue Coalition has been formed by local club owners to address the brutal financial effect of COVID-19 on live music spaces. Most of the government's arts support has gone to nonprofit organizations with small independent venues falling through the cracks. These venues are in very real danger of closing for good. The CIVC encourage you to contact your local and federal officials asking that they address this problem more comprehensively. You could also get in touch with your favorite venues to see how you might help them specifically. For more information on other ways you might help, visit supportcanadianvenues.ca. That's supportcanadianvenues.ca. Welcome back to Animal Voices Radio. We're going to start the day with some news and kind of dive into it a little bit. Apparently in North Korea, Kim Jong-un ordered the removal of all dogs from their human companions in the capital of Pyongyang. His reasoning behind this was that having pets is considered a Western decadence, and many high-ranking officials in North Korea with more wealth would own dogs as companion animals. Authorities have identified these households that have dogs as companions, ordering these dogs to be either put down, some are being sent to zoos, and some are being sent to restaurants for consumption. So this is obviously terrible, and it's true, it's weird that we have a hierarchy when it comes to non-human animals that we have dogs as these trophies but there are family members for many people so there are many dogs that have been bred to look a certain way or put out a certain task and a lot of dogs are considered to be working animals especially if you're a farmer like me a lot of people have dogs as relatives of people that live inside of their homes but they also are helpful in keeping away animals that are a danger to your family, like cougars or coyotes, depending on where you live. But that's really beside the point. (laughs) Kim Jong-un thinks that dogs are, like, tainted, that the bourgeoisie ideals and decadence of having these animals in your household is is wrong, um, and that instead animals should be considered food. So ordinary people have pigs and livestock and they raise animals for consumption, but it's different for them to have dogs or any animal that isn't a utility, which speaks to a lot of the ways that North Korea is run, that even us humans are exploited for the betterment of their government, their country. So if a dog can't do a job, their role is to be nutrition. 
Whereas in places like Canada, we acknowledge that people of different abilities are still valuable, that you don't have to, you know, have a working job to be a valuable part of society or to have the right to live. And I think that's one of the most important things that I want to bring to the discussion here on Animal Voices Radio is that we are individuals, whether you are a human, whether you are a chicken or a cat you have the right to live. While it's true that some people spend a lot of money on dogs, we cannot wage genocide on a person, in this case dogs, because someone finds their existence to be invaluable. This is extremely upsetting to hear and it bleeds into a lot of societal issues regarding ability. For North Korea, they would do the same thing. Let's say someone doesn't accept the role they were given in society, they are most likely going to be imprisoned. The authoritarian rule that Kim Jong-un is putting forward is just to remind people that if you don't serve a purpose, you're unwelcome. And that is inherently wrong. I just think that if you can see why it's wrong to kill dogs and take dogs from their families, then you can also acknowledge why it's wrong to take other animals from their families, why it's wrong to mistreat people that have different abilities, mistreat people that are of a different color than you. It's just really important to see the nuance in what this means and acknowledge it from the perspective that all oppression is wrong and you are not obligated to benefit the government or society in order to be worthy of love, affection, a home, or your own life. So just a food for thought there, but please don't eat dogs. Jumping into a similar topic, now I will share with you an interview by Allison with Peter Flicker of the Vancouver Humane Society regarding the campaign against horse-drawn trolleys in Stanley Park. For our first interview, we have local animal advocate Peter Fricker on the show. He is the Projects and Communications Director of the Vancouver Humane Society, which is a registered charity dedicated to exposing animal abuse and assisting individuals, businesses, and governments to end animal suffering, cruelty, and exploitation. This past year, we saw bans of the horse carriage industry be passed in both Chicago and Montreal, two big tourism or entertainment for many, many years. Vancouver Humane Society is concerned about the prevalence of horse carriages on the increasingly busy streets of Vancouver and around BC, with carriage rides being offered at a number of local events throughout the year, in addition to regular operations in Stanley Park. In today's interview, Peter will speak about the danger to both the welfare of horses and human beings that the horse-drawn trolleys continually bring in Stanley Park, one of North America's best-known parks and largest parks. We will also learn about VHS's campaign to call for an end to the horse-drawn trolleys. Hello, Peter, and welcome back to the Animal Voices show. Thanks, Allison. It's great to be here. Well, thank you for coming on the show today, Peter, to raise awareness of the problems with the horse-drawn trolleys in Stanley Park and horse-drawn carriages in general. You say that Stanley Park's horse-drawn trolley is a tragic accident waiting to happen. Can you tell us more about this and covered what happened in Stanley Park in 2016? Sure. I mean, first of all, VHS is against horse-drawn carriages in, in urban settings because of the stress to the horses from traffic, from being on hard surfaces in all weathers for long periods of time. But the issue in Stanley Park is primarily a a safety issue because right now the trolley is is sharing a roadway with with motorists and and cyclists. And back in 2016, we, we saw what can happen when horses are in close proximity to traffic. There was a car that honked its horn and spooked the horses and they bolted and took the trolley off the roadway, down onto the seawall, and nearly off the seawall. And you could see from uh, video coverage, tourists jumping off the trolley as it sped along the seawall and literally hitting the the pavement. That obviously could have been much worse if the trolley had gone off the seawall. So we really think that, you know, after seeing that incident, it's clearly a risk to the horses 
and to motorists, pedestrians, and cyclists who are now all sharing that roadway through the park. Right. And do you know the history of the horse-drawn trolleys in Stanley Park? Like, how long has this been happening for? I would imagine a long time. Yes. Uh, the, the company has been operating there for, uh, I think, several decades. And obviously, they plan to keep that business going there. Right. It's a tradition, just like many of these similar animal-using tourism mechanisms <laughs> that we've seen exactly. around the world. So there there has been a lot of pressure from animal advocates over the years to cease the archaic industry of horse-drawn carriages in places that are well-known for them, like New York City, Victoria, B.C., those still aren't banned yet, Chicago, and Montreal, The animals have finally won for the latter two cities, and I wonder if you can speak to what it takes to change hearts and minds to do good for these animals who suffer from this painstaking work, especially in extreme cold and hot temperatures. I think it takes uh, sustained public pressure on the operators of these businesses and also an engagement with the the civic officials, whether it's a park board or city council, to educate people and officials about the the risks to the horses and, as I mentioned earlier, to other road users, such as motorists and cyclists, and also about the welfare issues of of horses being out in those uh, in all weathers and extreme heat and also breathing in traffic pollution. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not a good situation for the horses in any way, and it's also a danger to the public. And I think... If people make those points in a sustained way with officials and with the public, that'll ultimately bring about change. And can you speak about how a bit about how that was done most recently with Montreal, or I guess not recently, because they actually implemented their ban January 1st, 2020. But then um, just a few months ago, the city of Chicago is now calling for a ban, and that will come into effect January 1st, 2021. So we're seeing some progress. What kind of pressure from the public did that take? How does that work? How do we get our city and our parks board? to basically flip something around that is so cultural, just like we did with the Vancouver Aquarium and no longer allowing dolphins and whales there. But how is that going to work in Vancouver, do you think? Well, again, it is a matter of of sustained pressure. I know that in in Montreal it uh, took years um, Mm -hmm. and uh, there was a a strong movement led by uh, Montreal uh, SBCA and uh, other local activists. Unfortunately, it does take years. People just have to keep working away at it. Unfortunately, sometimes it takes you know a tragic incident for the uh, officials who are in charge to be galvanized into to action, and that's what we would like to avoid here. I mean, why wait until there is a disaster to take action? That's often what what happens in situations like this. It happened in Montreal and and in Chicago and other cities where there were you know incidents where horses collapsed in the heat and died. That that kind of thing. Well, we don't want to wait for something like that to to happen here. We've seen a near disaster in 2016. Let's not wait for a disaster to happen in Vancouver before we take action. Mm -hmm. So we are joining with other people, other concerned animal advocates in uh, calling on the park board to to make changes. Well, I find that to be very proactive as opposed to reactive, which is what you're saying. It's not if it's a matter of if, but when another accident like the one in Stanley Park occurs, and there was one a while back that happened in Victoria as well with their horse-drawn carriages. So this is right, right in our home here. So can you please tell us about your petition and letter to the Vancouver Park Board and how our listeners can support your campaign to end the horse-drawn trolleys in Stanley Park? Sure. Uh, We've written to the Park Board Commissioners and to a number of uh, Park Board staff explaining what we think are the the risks involved with the current use of the trolley on the roadway through the park. Right now, they're sharing that roadway with cyclists and motorists. And what's happening are frustrated motorists who are trapped behind the slow-moving trolley Mm. are making hazardous, basically veering into the cycle lane to to pass the the trolley, which is obviously a completely unacceptable and dangerous situation. So we've asked them to remove the trolley from the the park, and we're also asking the public to support petition and to support that, what we've said in the letter to the park board commissioners. Uh, We've got a petition running on our website at vancouverhumane.ca, 
and people can just click on the, the media center and that'll take them to our blog post, which carries the, uh, the information and the petition itself. So finally, are there any final thoughts that you would like to share with our listeners about thinking about the welfare and the rights of animals forced to work in the tourism industry as we see here close to home, like I said, in Stanley Park and in Victoria, our province's capital city? Yeah, I I think, you know, the key sort of principle here is that animals are not here to entertain us. And over the years when we've worked on various issues, that involves animals being used to, to make money or, or as part of the business, there's always a, a welfare issue, whether it's uh, sled dogs, uh, sled dog tours, rodeos, and of course things like uh, circuses and, and zoos. Whenever people try to make money off animals, there's always a problem. And uh, horse carriages are just another example of, of this, where they're part of uh, uh, become part of the tourist industry, and the tourist industry promotes their use, and there's not enough attention being paid to whether this is good for the horses and and whether it's it's safe. And that's what we're pointing out in our petition and in our letter. Well, thank you, Peter Fricker of the Vancouver Humane Society for raising awareness with us today about the suffering of animals in the horse-drawn carriage industry and especially at Stanley Park. To find VHS's petition and more about this campaign and the other work that they do for the animals, please visit VancouverHumane.ca. You can also find the petition on our Facebook page, Animal Voices Vancouver, and on our website, AnimalVoices.org. Thanks for being with us here today, Peter, and stay safe. Thanks, Allison. Everybody marches to their own beat. At our West End plant-based restaurant, Beatbox, whether you're a vegetarian, vegan, or flexitarian, we've got a taste-first menu of meat alternatives that fits everyone's lifestyle. From conscious comfort food, like our signature fried chicken sandwich, made with breaded and fried seitan, crispy gorditas, and green pea falafels, to warm bowls, hot and cold sides and salads, we've got plenty of plant-based ways to get you thinking inside the box. 1074 Davy Street. Online orders are available for pickup and delivery through beatboxveg.com. That's B-E-E-T boxveg.com. Before going into our second interview with the owner of Pulse Kitchen, I wanted to give a quick plug to a couple other vegan cheese products that are going strong throughout the chaos that is COVID-19. On Sunday, I met the owners of Living Tree Foods, which is a really cool new vegan dairy alternative business. If you come to the Sunday market at Mount Pleasant, you'll be able to see their list of goods uh, and have things like dill lemon cream cheese, spicy cream cheese, strawberry yogurt, um, and even carrot locks. This is a company that I never knew about before. I went to the farmer's markets. So I wanted to say that if you wear the proper protective attire and make sure to socially distance, going to a farmer's market is a really good thing to do right now. There's a lot of amazing local farmers that have been able to struggle but stay afloat during this time with reduced volunteers, reduced workers, but are still pushing out amazing produce So please take a look. Another plant-based company that I've been seeing at the farmer's markets would be Plant-Based Food and Specialties. They have mixed ground vegan meats, pulled not pork, and even things like vegan cheddar, vegan parmesan, owned by an amazing local vegan activist. You also might stumble upon Spreadums, which has other vegan dips, or Bobali that has hummuses, dips, and one of my favorites called the cilantro mint pesto. Oh, guys, if you like cilantro, even if you don't like cilantro, this is just chef's kiss. So delicious. Please consider supporting some of these businesses that have managed to stay ethical and focused on their personal morals during this time. Uh, Many of these companies have limited access to spaces to produce their products. I think that now is a great time to consider who you want to support. So when you shop, try to consider the vegan product that's local. Go to a farmer's market where they have the ability to independently sell their product. And now for our second interview with the owners of Pulse Kitchen. 
Our feature interview today comes in this pandemic time where we want to support the vegan entrepreneurs who are running their vegan businesses. Today we will be speaking with Stefano Liapis, who is the co-founder and co-owner of the artisan vegan cheese company known as Pulse Kitchen. They are based in the city of Penticton in the Okanagan Valley of BC, which has lately been facing the threat of a large wildfire in the area. Stefano and his wife Brigitte are two ethical vegans who wanted to do something better for the planet and the animals by starting a plant-based food company that now sells its products in dozens of both large and small retail stores Canada-wide. What also makes Pulse Kitchen unique is that they use pulses, that is dried beans, chickpeas, peas and lentils as the base for their delicious vegan cheeses. In this interview today, Stefano shares with us his and Brigitte's personal story of how they became vegan entrepreneurs with a mission to help save the planet in making delicious cheeses out of plants only and no mammalian secretions. He also speaks about the process that goes into making their vegan cheeses, the nutritional profile of the plant-based cheeses, and the growing trends in the vegan food industry. Industry. Hello, Stefano. Thank you so much for coming on the Animal Voices show today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Now, I, I clearly understand that you're located in Penticton in the Okanagan, and you've, you've got a lot of things on your plate right now. There's the huge forest fire that's been burning there for, I guess, the last few weeks. From what I understand, it's under control now, but I'm just wondering from your perspective being right there, if you could give us an update on what the situation is, because I know people were being evacuated. Sure. Yeah, it started about a week ago, actually, last week, and it was dangerously close to the city um you know mm -hmm. we've lived here about nine years and there's never been one this close to uh, to penticton i think the last one that was this close was back in 94 from what i understand before uh, we lived here it was a little scary and um the evacuation alert area uh ended about a block and a half from our house so we were quite quite freaked out. Um, we made arrangements with some friends uh, in uh, West Kelowna, so we had a place to go. Thankfully, the combination of the hard work of, of the firefighters who came in, and I think the weather cooperated, the winds didn't uh, spread it uh, in the direction of the city, and I think uh, only one, as far as I know, only one home was lost to, to the fire. So it it, um, it wow. looked really bad at first, but then, I don't know, we were just fortunate that it didn't spread mm -hmm. the, the way uh, it, it, it might have. Yeah, the I, I was sent a picture of that fire the night it was happening, the first night, and I was just I was just struck in. And you know what? This is an animal advocacy show, and I just want to, just knowing like you as, an, I know you're an animal advocate yourself, do you think about... This is tough for me to talk about, but do you think about the animals that are suffering in that fire and what happens to them? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, it, it starts with, you know, of course, the most immediate threat was, was our pets, right? So yeah. we, we had to make sure a couple of people, a couple of our staff, they lived in the evacuation alert area and they uh, are both vegans and an animal advocates as well. And so they stayed home to uh, make sure that their, their, their pets were safe. And even if they had to be evacuated, they would, of, of course, take their pets with them. But as well, I've, I've heard lots of uh, stories of people finding, you know, deer and other wildlife in their, in their backyards. Yeah, for sure. It's, there's a lot of wildlife in in uh in in our city it's not uncommon to find deer in your front yard munching on flowers it, mm -hmm. it's almost a daily occurrence part of the problem is is the agriculture i don't want to single any one out but you know we celebrate the wine industry but it's grown so much that uh, it's sort of um it's in in some cases some of the uh, pathways uh, have been blocked uh, where where the the deer or other or the or the um, the mountain sheep would have roamed, mm -hmm. a lot of the it has sort of been fenced off or or they can't get through for whatever reason. 
So they end up, you know, wandering through the city. Um, it's pretty common. You know, I like wine. <laughs> yeah. And I think the wine industry does some good things, but there's always some some victims to, you know, yeah. industri- industrial, uh, you know, growth. Well, I think whenever a forest fire happens in that, in, you know, Okanagan interior region, which you're known for having them in the interior, I, I think it's just, it's so disastrous of just all that destruction. And, and I just want to, yeah, just take a moment here just to like honor the animals who suffer in those fires and who are fleeing for their lives and who are being burnt alive, of course. And it's sad. But um but this show, we wanted to have you on to speak about your vegan cheese business. So Grace is producing this show, and and uh, she asked me. She said, "I want to, I want to interview a vegan cheesemaker." And I said, "I know just who you should interview because, as you know, we've we've been chatting now for like two years, you and your wife and I, and I think you're both lovely people. I really." love that I really love that not only did you start a vegan business but you are two ethical vegans yourself and those are the types of people who we want to highlight on the show because it comes from a much deeper place than you know just doing it to try to get a profit right because there's a struggle (laughs) there's a struggle in getting your products on you know on top of maybe but it's been booming this year actually we've had a couple shows where we've been speaking how the vegan food industry is just like trending and trending and we'll get we'll get to that soon you know I've seen how you and your wife Bridget you're impassioned about your company and like I said it's guided by your vegan ethics and your ethics for environmental sustainability so could you start by just telling us a bit of both of your backgrounds and then what Paul's Kitchen is and then what inspired inspired you to start the business from where you were coming from? Like, what does it take to do what you did? Sure. Um, so my background, I grew up working in the restaurant business for the most part. Uh, my family was involved in the restaurant business in Vancouver for many years. And so from a, from the time I was an early ch- uh, young child, you know, I was always there working in the business. So food and, and working with food has always been something that I'm, you know, comfortable with. Manufacturing food for uh, wholesale and and retail is, is something else, but just growing up around food uh, and having a passion for food and wanting to eat good food is is kind of where I come from. And my my family is Greek, so good food was always really important, and and having meals together was important. Brigitte is has a European background as well. Her her mom's Spanish and her dad's French, so very similar background, I think, in terms of uh, honoring food. Mm-hmm. Um, her background is more in, in the arts. Um, she's an artist and, and, and has worked at art galleries and has done all kinds of work in that, re- in that regard. She also worked in, in midwifery clinics, and so she's a very sensitive, kind, grounded person. But we both are, you know, quite, quite the animal lovers. And w- one of the things that stands out for me is when, when we would drive to Vancouver along Highway 3, or as some people call it, the Hope Princeton, um, we would pass these, these ranches, these cattle ranches, and, and see these beautiful uh, Black Angus cows and bulls. And, and every time we would go through, at, at that time we weren't yet vegan we would see the cows and Brigitte would start crying Mm. she just she couldn't bear the thought of these beautiful creatures just just there for for the purposes of you know someone to satisfy their their hunger right and uh, and it was it was something that was kind of eating at her for a long time so that was part of the our our motivation you know just not wanting to, to to contribute to that Mm-hmm. So the business came about in in a sort of a backwards way. I'm going to sort of be all over the place because I'm trying to make this long story as short as I can, but <laughs> she was working at the uh at the gallery here in Penticton. I was working um at a care home as a as a cook. And um we had just started our vegan journey. This was about 5 years ago. And we were both finding it increasingly difficult to to keep it up um, for different reasons. Uh, we weren't happy with 
we, we missed things, right? I missed sausages and she missed cheese and we were trying to find ways to satisfy those cravings. And um, at the time, things are quite different today, but at the time there weren't a lot of good vegan products. There, there was a few, but not, not as many as we find today. So being the kind of food guy that I am, I started experimenting and started making sausages. I started making cookies. I started making all sorts of things. And I decided to just sort of quit my job because I wasn't happy because at the care home, I wasn't happy with the food that we were feeding the uh, the residents. Right. I, care homes, some of them are, are better than others, but, you know, it's it's mostly, you know, meat and potatoes, let's say. So I didn't want to contribute to that either. I just, I wanted to kind of be able to sleep better at night knowing that the work that I do is is part of the solution and not part of the problem. So I, I threw caution to the wind and I rented a space in downtown Penticton, a little little kitchen space, and I started my business. And it was sausages and baked goods, donuts, cookies. And then I started making cheeses and I was just selling them at, at the, the farmer's market on Saturdays and doing catering. And from there it grew to what it is, now we're you know in all sorts of stores across Canada and we've got mostly cheese that we produce but other products are coming too. And you have a cheese shop in Penticton is that correct? We yes we we opened we moved locations into a bigger facility in October because we were growing and we wanted room to build a business and scale it up and there was a room in the front of the space that was ideal because it had been used as a as a retail outlet before by the bakery that was here before. So we we renovated the space and did everything we could to try and make it look nice and open the shop in December. But it it didn't really get a chance to uh, to get any traction before COVID hit in um, and so the shop's been closed since March and we've been talking about whether or not we're going to reopen. It's just it's sort of up in the air. We're not sure. Just people don't know at this point, right? So I, I hope that works out because when I heard there's a vegan cheese shop in Penticton, I thought that's the reason to go to Penticton. <laughs> and I mean, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool in the beginning because I was able to to make other cheeses and, and, and really get creative. And so at one point we had like 12 or 13 varieties available in the shop. Nice. Um, it was good because people, most of most of them weren't available elsewhere. So we were just making stuff for the shop. Our other mm-hmm. cheeses that we sell through other retail stores, people can get. But we wanted the shop to have something different. That would be such a treat. I hope that comes back. We're going to try, but it's, yeah. we're going to wait and see how right. uh, flu season goes and, and what happens with COVID going of forward. Of course. We're all in a tentative state right now, really. So Yes holding pattern. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing about your company that really stands out, it's called Pulse Kitchen. It's your use of yes. Pulse Pulse Foods. So Pulse Foods, for our listeners who don't know, that's uh, anything from chickpeas to lentils to peas to dried beans. Anything else I'm missing yes. there? That's it, right? So they're pulses. And I wonder if you could explain the concept about why you made the choice to highlight these crops. A lot of other plant-based cheeses actually typically don't use these ingredients, you know, they use soy, tapioca, and you're using pulses. So why did you decide on that? That's a a great question. So we grew up eating pulses. You know, my my mother always made lentil soup. Uh, There was other, you know, things that we would do with beans. There was always beans in the cupboard. Beans were beans, peas, and and lentils were always on, on on the table. We were always eating them. My wife as well, her, her parents being European, Southern European, they understand pulses, right? They're an, uh, an ancient food, right? They've been around for thousands of years. But in North America, they're not as popular. You don't see people, you know, lining up in, in drive-thrus t- to get pulses. They, so I just thought that it was a shame that people didn't know the value of pulses. And, and as a, a vegan person eating a plant-based diet, pulses are a huge source of, of protein mm-hmm. and, and dietary fiber. They're, they're just, they're really, if you, I, I hate the term superfood, but if there ever was a superfood, it's pulses. They, they, 
they tick so many boxes. They're they're sustainable. They they when you when they're grown, they leave the soil nitrogen enriched. Just on so many levels, they're good for you. They're good for people who have uh, diabetes. They're good for people uh, who have heart disease. They 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 lower cholesterol. I mean, the list goes on. So I just thought curious that the word pulses is not recognized in North America. In 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 the UK and Australia, people know what pulses are. We call them legumes, but over there, pulses are, are recognized. So I just thought, because they're good for our, our, our health, they help us maintain our pulse, <laughs> they keep us alive. Mm. I just thought it would it was catchy to um, to have the double meaning there. And so that's why I, I chose the word pulse. And so we use pulses in our cheeses, and all our products contain pulses in, in some form, either like the chickpea, miso or chickpea flour or one of our cheeses has uh, navy beans in it we were making burgers at one point that had red lentils in them yeah and going forward we're going to keep using pulses in in all of our products just because we believe in them so much i think if we look at all the problems in the world environmentally and 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 i think pulses are a big part of, of the solution to many of our problems and I think they're a big part to the solution to our health because absolutely they're a protein source. So I wonder if you could speak a bit about the nutritional profile of what you make, yeah. the cheeses you make, and and how protein fits into there. Yeah. So, like I said, they, they're they're high in protein. So if if we look at say chickpeas, for example, so one of a one little puck of our of our cheese has about uh, eight or 10 grams, depending on which cheese, uh, of protein. So almost on par with traditional dairy cheese, but there's no cholesterol involved, right? So exactly. there's, there's, there's lots of pluses, but, but very few uh, minuses here. They, they are also high in fiber, so fiber is really important. I think people focus, in my opinion, too much on, on protein. I don't know many people. I've never come across anyone who, who's lacking protein in, in in our society, but we we seem to be transfixed with protein. If there is a nutrient that we're lacking, it's it's fiber. And mm -hmm. and I honestly, if people had more dietary fiber in their diets, we would we would all be healthier. And for our listeners who don't know, like, what's the deal with fiber? Well, the fiber is the plant foods that actually sweep out your colon to get all the guck out of it. So you're having a good digestive yeah. system, right? Yeah, they're also sometimes referred to as prebiotics. So basically, if you eat a diet high in fiber, that creates the, the bacteria in your, in your gut to aid digestion. So you... I might get in trouble saying this, but if you eat a lot of fiber, <laughs> you probably won't need probiotics. I know people are focused on, on, on all kinds of probiotics. I'm not against probiotics. Probiotics are great, you know, in the yogurts and all other cultured foods. But if our reliance on them, I think, in, in some part is due to our lack of prebiotics in our, in our diet. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. So start with the pulses, eat your legumes and eat your chickpeas, your lentils, your peas, your beans, and, and you can't go wrong. Like all those foods are on, I think they're all on, most of them are on Dr. Greger's daily dozen, like of the foods to eat every, every day. Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm constantly trying to use uh, all the beans and the legumes and that that I have and because they're good for you, you need them in your body. So, so we've spoken about you make cheese and our listeners know that they're made out of pulses. I would imagine for a lot of people, they're thinking, okay, so this, just to be clear, listeners, this show is about a cheese company who makes plant-based cheeses out of legumes or pulses. And you don't use any animal products because you're a nope. vegan company. And, yep. and most people might wonder, what does that mean? So can you maybe speak a little about the process of how you make something that is, um, it, it's a legume and how you make that into something that resembles and totally tastes like cheese that we would have eaten growing up and, and is totally enjoyable and satiating right now to eat because I have had your cheeses, of course. So could you explain sure. that a little bit? Thank you. Yeah, so we 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 have nuts in our cheese as well. So we use cashews 
and almonds. We also use seeds. We use sunflower seeds, pumpkin seeds, and we, we also use other ingredients that help give our products a, a cheesy flavor. So the, the chickpea miso, which is a, a fermented product, it has a lot of kind of funkiness and umami uh, mm. flavor, so that helps. Nutritional yeast, as most vegans know, it's, or they call it nooch. Nooch uh, has a real cheesy smell and cheesy flavor, so our cheeses have that. We, we, you, and, and cheeses often have a, a kind of a zing or a tang, so we, we use things like apple cider vinegar, uh, organic lemon juice, uh, rice vinegar, uh, white wine vinegar, different things. Because I'm from a, a cooking background, I'm a chef, I always try to find a way to balance flavors. That's, that's the way I've been, I've been taught and the way I've learned over the years. And so I approach cheese making the same way. You know? So we take whatever we're making. I'll give you an example. Let's say we're making some cheddar. So we'll, we'll take the cashews and, some, and, and blend them with some water. We use coconut oil because coconut oil gives it a, a, a rich um, sort of, what's the word? Um, because there's well, oil. It, 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 it does thicken cheese for one thing. And oh, yeah. I guess it's it sort of, it. yeah. It also makes it richer. So Yes. It has the so fat. Like, so the you're, fat, yeah. Right? We, need, we, we need the fat, right? The fat gets a... It's got a bad, bad rap, but fat, fat is, is, is actually required. We need fat. So the nuts have fat in them, the seeds have fat in them, and, so, and the fat also helps um, give it a, a satisfying you know, effect. So when you eat mm-hmm. it, you feel satisfied the same way yeah. you would feel after eating a dairy cheese, but, but there was no cruelty involved. So we put those ingredients together, we blend them, and then we add other ingredients. So we use agar. Agar is a, it's like a vegetarian, uh, kind of like a gelatin or, or thickener. Mm-hmm. So it, it's made from a type of uh, seaweed. And we, we choose to use agar because agar is, is not harmful. We also use organic cornmeal. I like polenta. Um, I'm a big fan of polenta and I love the texture of polenta and the taste. So putting organic cornmeal gives it a nice taste, but it also helps thicken it and give it a nice texture. So yeah, so the, that's basically the process. And then after we cook it, we form the, the cheese pucks, and then we, we let them uh, set, and then they cure, and then yeah, we package them and sell them. Yeah, and for people who are interested in maybe making your own cheese, it's actually it's actually pretty easy. It's basically all the ingredients that you said and you mix them up and and then you cook them I I cook it over the stove to put the agar in and to thicken it and then voila, yeah. you have you're like, "Wow, I just made cheese. I just have to set it and it it'll be good." So, yeah. just look yeah. pe- listeners if you're interested, just look just Google recipes. They're all over the place. Uh, there's so many different kinds of ways that people make vegan cheeses and definitely um, what, what you're speaking about is very familiar to me and it's, it's a familiar way to make cheeses. So I think our listeners will be really interested to know not only where they can find your products in BC and the Lower Mainland in that and, but also what are the different flavors that you sell in the stores? Sure so uh, we're now we're mostly in Western Canada so you can find us across BC, Alberta and the prairie provinces, but mostly in BC. So we're in um, all the Whole Foods, Nestor's Markets, Nature's Fair, Choices. We're in all the Choices. Uh, we're, gosh. Safeway. We're, we're in some some Safeway. I've, uh, I've seen your cheese in Safeway, and wow, was I ever pleasantly surprised. We're not in all the Safeways. Some of them have taken us on, yeah. And then we're in we're in lots of independent stores, you know, some urban fair. Mm-hmm. We're in uh, Minehart. So you um, can be found. So I imagine you sell in the Okanagan. I know you sell in Lower Mainland. Do you sell yep. on Vancouver Island or anywhere else in BC or the country? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Uh, we're in Victoria. We're all over the island. Is it on your website? 
It's it always, is. If okay. you go to our website, uh, pulsekitchen.com, there's a list of retailers. Well, I just love that all these mainstream stores are picking up the alternative, you can call it vegan cheese and meat products. And as you yes. said, there's just so many these days. I can't keep up. I certainly haven't tried them all. And I, it used to be a time where I had tried every single one. <laughs> and same, yes. with, same with cheese. I, I can't keep up. And uh, yeah, it's always a treat to buy a nice artisan made cheese when you we just want some good cheese, right? So so Grace has a question for you. She says, what are your favorite uses and pairings for Paul's cheese? Yeah, great, great question. So apart from, from just putting them um, on a cheese board or a cheese platter, which is the the simplest thing to do and just have them with crackers or bread. You can use them in, in, in dishes differently. So our most popular cheese called the sharp cashew cheddar. That one makes really great mac and cheese. All you have to do is dilute it a little bit in the pan. So you could add, you could add water. You could, um, just reserve some of the, the, the water that the pasta was cooking in because that's kind of starchy and salty. That's, that's a good one. And then just, Put the cheese in the pan, add a little bit of water, stir it, and then just keep adding water until you get it to the right thickness, and then throw the, the pasta in, and, and there you have really tasty mac and cheese. You can do the same thing to make a cheese sauce with any of our cheeses and pour it on your nachos or as a fondue, or if you want cheese sauce on your you know steamed broccoli or your roasted vegetables. So those are really easy things to do with the cheese. So our almond cheeses, like our almond chevre, it's firmer. Uh, it has a different texture because the almonds have more fiber. So you can crumble it or grate it. So it's firm enough to grate it. So you can put that in a salad. We've also got an almond uh, gruyere, which is uh, like a mild Swiss. Yeah. That's really tasty, grated on pasta or on a pizza. So yeah, there's all sorts of things you can do with it. It's pretty much as versatile as dairy cheese. The, the only thing is it doesn't melt the same way because it doesn't have the casein. So you just have to, to dilute it a little bit with another liquid. So either water or stock or mm -hmm. some plant milk that you have, it, uh, it, it makes a really nice cheese sauce. Well, my mouth is watering. I think I've got to go look for your cheese the next time I go out. So I, I'm i wondering, this is a question I have, is I don't think the majority of your clientele, the people who go out to buy your cheese, are vegans because there's not enough for us probably for for you to sustain a business. I, I right. Maybe there <laughs> I don't think there is. So who, did, like, who is your product for and what would you like to say to omnivores who are kind of they're on the fence should i switch over to eating a plant-based cheese that sounds really tasty i hope they're open-minded you know i grew up being addicted to cow's cheese and that was one of the reasons why it took me so long to go from vegetarian to vegan and when i did the vegan cheeses all sucked they were really bad right we only had a handful and now there's absolutely when i hear people say oh but the cheese i i always say to them but you must not know. There's there's all these amazing, delicious really good cheeses on the really market. So yeah. what would you suggest for our listeners who might not be familiar with vegan cheeses to make the crossover and to try your cheeses and, and all the other amazing ones out there? I can understand where they're coming from. I was I was that person, you know. I was I was a really bad omnivore. So if I can do it, I think anyone can. That's um, what I always I, tell people. And, and people tell me, yeah, but I love food so much. And, and I'm like, well, who are you talking to here? <laughs> yeah. Like, I am like the pickiest, pickiest, pickiest eater there is. I, one of the reasons I became a chef is because I wanted to eat good food all the time. And, you know, going to restaurants doesn't always guarantee that. So I took it, you know, upon myself to learn how to cook. But when it comes to the cheese, so I think just just dive in, you know, like that's what we did. We just be adventurous. Just just be adventurous. Yeah. You know, some of them, some of them are cheap. Some of them are a little bit more. But you have to kind of keep in mind, really, you're getting what you pay for. Yeah. I, I don't want to say that the cheap ones are bad, but w the ones that are a little bit more expensive generally taste way better. Those are the ones that are made with love. 
as opposed to the ones yeah, that are mass produced in, in to shreds yeah. or whatever. Well, <laughs> some of the cheap ones are are, are pretty good too. Yeah. I, I don't want to, you know, but when when something is a higher price price point, there's a reason. Mm-hmm. Usually, it's because the they're using better ingredients. They're not you know, making it in, in huge quantities. It's usually you're, you're supporting a small business uh, that, you know, has got, you know, small staff and they're, mm-hmm. they're trying to make a go of it. And so there's lots of reasons to, to do that, right? Because generally I think people want to support small businesses and, you know, where the money stays, you know, in the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just approach it the same way you would anything. Just buy one, right, and try it. And and give it give it a shot. You know, put it on put it on some bread. Put it in a sandwich. Have it on a cracker, and and give it a shot. And if you don't like it, that's fine. You know, don't give up because they're, they're all different. You know, there's exactly everyone has different everyone has different tastes. You know, we have people who who like love our stuff, and then sometimes we have people who try it and don't like it at all, and that's fine. You know, not everyone is going to like it, and then there's there's stuff out there that people love that I've tried that I don't like very much. So I think we need to just celebrate everyone's, you know, everyone has a different palate, right? Yeah, exactly. And just for listeners who are feeling like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a foodie. I want to check this out because really just if you love food, which most people do, then you've got you've to eat some plant-based cheeses. Just go to uh, the store Vegan Supply in Chinatown on Pender and they yep. have a, the biggest display of all the vegan cheeses basically available, not even just in Canada, but they import stuff as well. And Paul's yep. Kitchen is there and they're all there. So just go wild and again, support the local economy, which we encourage for people to do right now during COVID because we want to see our local vegan businesses, you know, get through this and to still be making product after after COVID's all over. Although, uh, you know, past show that I did a few months ago shows that the um, the plant-based meat industry is just skyrocketing. So I'm not sure yeah. if it's like that with the cheese, but yeah, people are scared to buy flesh meat because it's causing pandemics maybe they're realizing it and because there's been shortages yeah, so yeah, yeah it's sort of a situation that we're in right now just wrapping up here I, this is a question i always love to ask small vegan entrepreneurs or large ones whoever can you tell us about how the demand for vegan products has changed say in, in the last five years while you've been working in this sector the natural foods industry and then also if you can speak on like fast forward on trends moving forward into the future Future, what are you seeing for the future and why do you think people need alternatives to flesh-based meats and cheeses? So five years ago, there wasn't, there wasn't much available. There, you know, there was Eve. Uh, yeah. was Eve. Eve has been around for a long time, so they had all of their substitute meat products. They're still around. Cheeses, there wasn't much. There was a couple of brands. When we got Dea, people were either really excited or really dismayed, but at least we got we got a cheese that could finally melt on our pizzas. Yeah, I'm grateful for mm-hmm. Dea. You know, I think oh, Dea yeah. gets gets a lot of uh, you know flack for different reasons, but Dea opened the door for for everyone else. Absolutely. Right? I think if it if it weren't for Dea, I don't think we'd be talking right now. Um, they were yeah. really the pioneers, and and we have to remember. Dea is a Vancouver, well, it started out in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um, now they're all over the world, but it started out, you know, a couple of guys in East Van. And so it's pretty impressive what they've done. I think it's just incredible how this, this category of products has exploded. I remember doing um, um, a trade show. Oh, gosh. This was in Vancouver about four years ago, and I think we were one of, I think, two or three vegan cheeses. Mm-hmm. And then last year we did that same show. I think it was called uh, Veg Expo. Oh, yeah. The last year we did it, there was like 20. 20? <laughs> <laughs> it was insane. Oh. But, but it didn't matter because as there's more producers, there's just more people because I, I always think – about when I was a dairy eater, I never had only one kind of cheese in my fridge. I always had four or five different kinds. And so if, 
if there's going to be, you know, a dozen or two dozen vegan cheese producers, I think there's opportunities for all of them. I think, you know, we're all different and we all, uh, you know, are have our place, you know, on people's plates. And so the more of us, the better. I think when there's a new dairy cheese on a shelf in a supermarket, what that tells you, and most consumers don't know this, is that that store did a review of their sales and they decided to make room for that non-dairy cheese. And so in so doing, they got rid of a dairy cheese. So every time a new cheese hits the shelf, a dairy cheese is, is exiting out the back door. So it's all good. You yeah. Know, it's, all, it's all part of, of the solution as far as we're concerned. That's happening with the dairy milk industry, like for real. It's being crowded yeah. out by the non-dairy milk industry because there's just so yeah. many keep popping up of all these different nuts and seeds and oats and what rice just and whatever. And it's cr- amazing. It, yeah, and it's taking over the industry and the dairy industry is is plummeting because of that. So that yeah, that's a they that's won't a admit good it point. though. They won't, they oh. won't admit it. <laughs> Depends where you read. I think I think you do see that they do admit it when you see the ads for the BC dairy farmers, like on bus stops and on TV, you know, talking about how their their milk only has, I guess, one ingredient, cow's milk. Although they don't speak about the antibiotics and the hormones and the pus and blood that's also in it. And then the almond milk yeah. has water, almonds, uh, thickener, yeah. like. So what? It's almonds, <laughs> and it's still way more sustainable than than dairy, and and way and, and way 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 less cruel. So, <laughs> yeah. If listeners want to learn more about dairy or even cheese, I did a show with Dr. Neil Barnard. I think like two years ago when he wrote the book The Cheese Trap. It's really interesting. That's on our website, wow. animalvoices.org. I have we've done a quite a number of shows uh, about cheese, which is North America's largest food addiction, by the way. And so oh. it's, it's a good industry to be in for the plant-based because because people are still craving that taste, right? So everyone loves well, cheese. Yeah, well, there, you know why? Because casein is, 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 is kind of on a par with heroin in terms of its uh, addictive uh, yeah. qualities. Well, Yes, yeah, and that has to do with cow's milk is a food for a baby, right? So the 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 dopamine that's actually released into your system that is the same as what the baby cow feels to bond her to her mother. And that's exactly. that's the ingredient, like that's one of the main addictive ingredients in cow's milk, but then we here humans, we get addicted to it too, like I, you and I yeah. just admitted we were cheese addicts. A lot of people are. And like I just said, well, it's yeah. the largest food addiction in North America. And that is because it's made to bond a baby cow with her mother. And of course, that doesn't get to happen at all in the dairy industry because the mothers and the babies are separated at day one of birth. So yeah. think about yeah. that. Do some more research, listeners. If you want to learn more, like I said, go on our website, animalvoices.org, and just Google, put in there milk or dairy or cheese and there's so many shows that we've covered on this and i'm so glad to be able to speak to you about a range of things in this interview today one last thing just to give you an opportunity is there anything else that you would like to share about with our listeners about plans for the future or any anything that we missed that you would like to share with our listeners yeah we're 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 excited to to be working with with nesters and 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 bylo so we're available now in in most of the nesters and some of the bylos, so so that's that's recent, that's exciting, mm-hmm. um, and we're also available in in lots of lots of independent stores that that don't uh, that you don't hear about that often. Parsonon Market on West Broadway uh, yeah. was one of the first one of the first stores that picked us up. Vegan Supply, of course, was was the first. We've been working with Vegan Supply since the since the beginning. They've been Big supporters, I think they don't get enough credit because of uh, the work that they do is incredible. Because I remember when I first walked Mm -hmm. in there, I met the owner, Jason, and he didn't even look twice. He just said, yes, of course we'll carry your product. We don't even care what it tastes like. 
as long as it's vegan, we'll take it. Their mandate kind of, is to fill that cooler with all the vegan cheeses and meats that they can get. So especially, and, especially local producers. Absolutely. And that's, that's, that's so refreshing, you know, because it's, it's a struggle to get into stores for a lot of small producers. And, you know, I've, I've been through it. I've, uh, you know, where I was out, you know, pounding the pavement, uh, visiting stores, dropping off samples, trying to get my product in stores. And, you know, you're, you're met with so many different types of attitudes. Some people, you know, they'll kind of, they'll throw you out. They, they won't even give you a, a second glance. Whereas people like, like Jason uh, and Vegan Supply, you know, they're huge, huge vegan advocates and people should support them 100%. Mm-hmm. And they're paving the way because now all these other stores are bringing, you know, these small yeah. vegan suppliers on as well. So it's definitely paving the way and it's becoming more accepted, more mainstream. So and more, it's, ex- it's, more expected. People must be looking for these products in these stores and saying, yes. hey, can you order in Paul's Kitchen? Because I want to eat it. That's what they did at Safeway. <laughs> yes, it's becoming normal. It's becoming yeah. normal. And I, and I think if, if, if customers ask for it, Store managers, department managers will listen because their mm-hmm. job is is to get the biggest bang for the their buck when it comes to shelf space. So if if a product is is if people go into a store and ask for a product, more often it's going to happen more often than not. Yeah, and that's that's how that's how the the market works. That's how the grocery business works. They listen to the customers. So if you're a customer, use your voice. It's like your vote. Exactly. Exactly. Request the products you want. And you can get your favorite plant-based vegan products in your stores just from asking. And sometimes when it's a smaller store, just like if one person asks, they'll just order They'll just order in that SKU for, for you and then start selling it in their product Absolutely. line. So you did Absolutely. a good thing there with uh, with vegan outreach activism and, and so simple. All you did was you asked for your, your favorite vegan treat and, and they brought it in and now it's being exposed to everyone who goes to that store. Exactly. It, and that's how it goes. It's like a domino effect. And, and I don't think most consumers know what power they have. So oh, it. we do. We do. Because <laughs> none of this would even exist without our dollars. None of it. So that's why, you know, we're excited to feature some entrepreneurs this summer on the show who went ahead and followed their dreams. And they've turned into this viable company that's now being their products are being sold like more and more places and that's great because it also normalizes the culture of okay we there's the vegan section in the in just the Safeway or the Nesters and we're going to be able like in Bilo wow they have like a plant-based dairy uh like ice cream treat huge section so I know where to find the stuff that I want when I go there I was just in Sabon yesterday just passing by the meat the I never passed by the meat section, but it happened to be, I guess, the ground beef section. And it just drew my eye because I saw the Beyond and the Light Life products there. Yeah. And yeah, um, yeah they had and then they, I saw the packages of Beyond me, uh, Beyond Beef. It's like ground square packages of beef. And I actually yep. I actually compared the prices because I never had done that before, because I know that Beyond wants to have their prices actually be cheaper than actual meat. And right now they're a bit more expensive. But the sign that was on the Beyond Beef was incorrect. It was saying it was some kind of meat product. So I actually just took that sign off. And then I formed up all some of the packages were like upside down in that. And I just like did a really nice display. So that good for you. You're like a vigilante merchandiser what i needed what i needed though were my stickers for all the dead animals that i do have somewhere (laughs) that you (laughs) that you put in the package saying this animal suffered very greatly to be your you know to be your burger whereas if you just like go one over so their strategy is they they want to be in the meat section because they're they're making their products for meat eaters although vegans love them too but i mean it makes sense yeah. Yeah, but yeah, but I like it. Yeah, well, you ha- well you have to market to the the mass population to, you know, to to convert the masses and that's what that's what you're doing being in all these stores. So, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Stefano Liapis, co-founder and co-owner of Pulse Kitchen. It's a vegan cheese company located in Penticton, BC. You can visit their website to find out more at pulsekitchen.com and also find the plethora of all the different places where they're 
for sale on and you can also check them out on Facebook and Instagram. So I wish you safety there in Penticton. The fires are going down, so that's good. And and in this age of COVID as well, there's a couple things I'm wishing you safety for. So be safe. Still keep making your cheeses because we need them. And and I look forward to if there's a you know CHFA trade show next year. Who knows? I look forward to seeing you and your wife there again. Thanks, Allison. We're 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 putting together new products. So we're excited to be launching new products soon. So look, look for them. Oh, yeah, for sure. We'll share them on our social media. Well, thanks and take care. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you to Pulse Vegan Kitchen and to Allison for that amazing interview. That is it for this week's show. Be sure to peruse the vegan cheese aisle next time you're at the grocery store. Thank you so much for tuning in to Animal Voices here on 100.5 FM Vancouver Co-op Radio in so-called Vancouver, British Columbia. We here at Animal Voices want to connect with you online. Visit our website, animalvoices.org, where you can stream past shows and download them as podcasts or stream previous episodes through Apple Podcast or Google Play. Stay in touch with us on our Facebook page or our Instagram at Animal Voices Vancouver. We also have a Twitter at Animal Voices YVR. Today I will leave you with a really cute song called Vegan Cream Cheese that I found while stumbling through YouTube. It's definitely a lo-fi song, but it's extremely sweet and I think a great way to end our day. Thank you again for listening to Animal Voices. Remember to be kind to the animals. Three years ago, we were holding hands in that way you like to do, and I know I liked it too. We got slushies from Sheets, and we were doing anarchy, eating expired bagels with vegan cream cheese. And I don't know what happened, but I'm glad that it did, because I was growing up and you were still a kid. But I hope the best for you. Hope your mom is doing well, but I'd be so shocked if you were doing well yourself. I think of getting back together, well, that's just stupid. I was a toxic girlfriend, but remember the things you did. Homecoming was annoying, but I guess prom was okay. But I really wish I spent my time with someone else that day. When you said relationships would need no effort, I disagree. Cause I gave you all my love and you gave no energy. I hope you deleted pictures. I still have your casual t-shirt and sweatpants pajamas. I want back my DVDs and I don't know what happened, but I'm glad that it did. Cause I was growing up and you were still a kid, but I hope the best for you. Hope your mom is doing well, but I'd be so shocked if you were doing well yourself. Three years ago, we were holding hands in that way you like to do, and I know I liked it too. We got slushies from sheets and we were doing anarchy, eating expired bagels with vegan cream.